I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. The opening weekend of this year's Six Nations is now history. And what a weekend it was for England, who outfought, outthought, outperformed the defending champions, Ireland in Dublin. Wales benefited from major lapses in concentration from the French. Who could have predicted that, eh? And Scotland picked up an expected bonus point win at home to Italy. Here to dissect the weekend's action, to look ahead to round two, is the former... England fly half and former director of elite rugby at the RFU, Rob Andrew. Hello, Rob. Evening, Brian. How are you? Not too bad. 32 points to 20 out in Dublin. And bearing in mind that England have not scored more than 13 points against Ireland, I think in the last seven games. I don't think anyone saw that coming, nor indeed the manner. Um, But when Eddie Jones quipped that Ireland had to get used to being favourites. All right, it was a bit of a barb, but he is right in this sense. There is a different psyche when you're going in as strong favourites. And indeed, I seem to detect a difference in the crowd. Yeah. Hi, Brian. Look, what a stunning, stunning performance by England. I mean, that's as good as we've probably seen them play for... Two years? uh, Well, probably... Even under Eddie's reign, probably. I mean, the the wins away in Australia were pretty impressive in 2016. But to go to Dublin, to go to an outstanding Irish team who just beaten New Zealand, effectively, was their their last big win. And to be not dominant, because you're never going to dominate that game. But but actually, even when they didn't have the ball, they were under control. Well, I thought it was an absolutely outstanding performance. And, you know, a lot of people wrote England off. You can't write off this England team with all of these big players When they're back. all available and fit. You, you put the two funny polers, Itoji, Tuolangi, um, Farrell, you know, in the form that he's in. Um, the others, you know, there's some very good players coming through there. They've, they've lost a bit of shape over the last 12 months. But the other, the other great thing about this England team that took the field was that there was... There was a balance across the field, balanced back row, balanced front row, balanced second row, balanced back three, balanced midfield. We've, we haven't really talked about that much in the last 18 months. Just discuss this. When they were playing the All Blacks in Dublin, because it was the best team in the world, because they wanted to record 
first victory on home soil, the crowd cheered absolutely every single thing they did well, whether it was just one tackle, one turnover, one fielded kick and so on. Now, when you're expected to do that, crowds don't do that because it's like, well, go on, carry on. And when are you going to entertain it? When are you going to do the exceptional things we expect and know you can? So that changes. And it was interesting when the game started to get away from Ireland and it became quite apparent to the crowd that they were in trouble. Then the cheering and the roaring came back. So that's one of the things. And secondly, when you are a favourite, I think sometimes an innate conservatism can come in because when you are going against a team like New Zealand, you know that you've got to play right on the edge to win. And so you do things and you chance things that you might not necessarily do when you're in the favourite position. And I thought it wasn't until later on that Ireland... They weren't risky ploys, but they started to play with something like the ambition that we've seen outside the kicking game, which England dealt with crucially very well. Yeah, and I think you, you know, the point you raised earlier about being massive favourites, they were massive favourites going into England at, in Dublin. England have had a poor record in Dublin for a while. Um, subconsciously, that gets into your head and, and they probably started to believe some of the hype. You try not to as a player, you try to fight it. But actually, you know, they were such heavy favourites for this game. And as I said, you can't... I half expected England to go and actually... I did actually expect them to win, to be honest, in this game. Um, It's not after the event, but you, you can't put that many good players on the pitch for England, that much ball carrying, that much defensive organisation with Farrell at, at, at 10, um, with with Cruz and Itoji in the second row. And and actually, you, you know, that, or you felt that England, the other thing about favourites versus the underdog, you know what it's like. We've been there. When you are big underdogs, it's, it's a slight on your your personality it's a slight on your ability and England have uh, you know they got d- turned over by Ireland two years ago in Dublin ha- embarrassed almost at Twickenham last year and Ireland w- received the grand slam on the turf at Twickenham mm. last year now you don't forget things like that as a player and you 12 months is a long time to wait to actually go and and repay some of that and that that was you could see it it was pent up in the england players and they had all most of their best players fit and playing pretty well the form of most of those england players going into this were, were was pretty good did you discern any difference in the defensive approach john mitchell has just come in he's been working with them now for a reasonable period um, <laughs> to me, it, it wasn't necessarily the organisation that differed. It was just more effective. And unlike in previous games, the number of dominant tackles, the way in which they double tackled, just denied Ireland their usual momentum. I mean, it was a, it was a defense. Ferocious. It was absolutely ferocious. Built on fury, wasn't it? Line Mm. speed. And they've always had line speed, even with Paul Gustard there. They they had line speed, the sort of Saracens line speed. But this was line speed plus the way they got off the line, led by Farrell at 10, who obviously is a great defender. And everybody went with him. And when they got to the advantage line, their tackles were so dominant. They, they literally, they, you know, we talk a lot, don't we, about, the gain line and the breakdown. 
England won the gain line battle both in attack, where most of their ball carries made a yard or two to Elangi, Vunipolas, or they offloaded on, on, on contact. I don't think England once got held up and turned over by Ireland in a choke tackle. Well, that's a Im- really important thing. I remember talking to Eddie Jones early on in uh, his tenure and saying to him, at the time, Australian forwards were probably the best at varying the contact point. And I said, are England good enough to do that? And he said, uh, no, mate, but we will be. And this was the first time I've seen so many options not even just, even when it was one out, you had players cutting different lines to receive the ball. And that's what got England beyond the initial tackle m- many, many times. And that's why Ireland struggled to be their usual, and nothing wrong with this, you know, their usual destructive uh, selves at the, uh, at the breakdown. And that was, that was the same in, in both the defence and attack, wasn't it? England had a yard in, in offence, so they they did, Ireland had to work too hard to stop the England ball carriers, which meant they couldn't slow the ball down. They had half a yard or a yard to get back for the next wave of defence, which allowed England just that forward momentum. And it's you know it's a, actually we talk about I mean the coaching by England was brilliant, but it's simple things done well. And and Ireland was suffocated because they couldn't do you know people talk about Ireland not have being able to get anywhere in attack. Well, that's because they're on the back foot the whole time. So you you inevitably become predictable when you are on the back foot. It's very difficult I, to I play. don't think you can underestimate the different tactical dimensions that Tuolangi brings you. Whether he's receiving the ball or not, the threat is so powerful that players can't drift off him. If he cuts the right line, he'll break an arm tackle every time. Now look... He wasn't in the game as much as he will be when he's completely on form. Must be a huge plus for him, for England, to come through a very physical game unscathed. You just have to pray that nothing else happens to him because if he is there, whoever plays, and I thought Henry Slade had probably his best game for England, that particular threat is something that sides have to plan for. Yeah, it's like the Vunipolas, isn't it? We talked last year about... The Vunipola is almost being tag team ball carriers. One goes, then the next one goes. And Manu's the same, but all of them, because of their heritage, they can play the ball themselves. So you, they can, put- you can add to that now. You can add Sinclair, Jamie George in a different way. Yeah. Itoji forces out, but Laws has also got that. To a certain extent, Wilson can. He's very direct, but again, powerful. And that makes an enormous difference because then it's it's not telegraphed. The defence can't actually work out what's coming. And if you look at the first try, Tuolangi was missed out by that long pass. Yep. Keith Earls came flying in because he was trying to. He thought he better get in on Tuolangi, and it, and Farrell put the ball straight across the front of him for the second try when uh, uh, Elliot Dahlia kicked the kicked the ball through. Manu just put it through his hands. He was he acted like a fly half and just put it in behind. So that if if you don't know quite what he's going to do, and then when he does carry, it obviously it takes two men at least to stop him. So you're already on the front foot. The reason I didn't tip England was simply this. I didn't know how well the back three would cope with a very precise kicking and chasing game. They coped unbelievably well. Johnny May was outstanding. I mean, no, no, no other words. Can they all played 
they all played like men possessed, actually. And, and but with a sufficient control. Oh, that absolutely. Men possessed around um, fury, but controlled fury, right from that first line out. And I think that's one of the other um, remarkable things about this England performance. It's in the opening game of the Six Nations where everybody's normally a bit rusty. The other two games, you compare those two games compared to the England Ireland game, they were they were rusty games really. They'll both get they'll all get better. But England almost hit a performance that you might expect at the end of a Six Nations, not well, for first game let's up. Let's not get ahead of ourselves too much, but we'll we'll talk about this uh, a bit more. But uh, why don't we get an Irish uh, perspective? Can now speak to James Downey, the former Ireland and Munster centre, played um, in the Ireland England's Legend game on the Friday night. Uh, hello, James. Hi, Brian. In your opinion, where did it go wrong for um, Joe Schmidt? Tony Ward was quoted after the match saying Ireland too reliant on their um, box-kicking game. Uh, what do you f- think about that? Yeah, look, I can I can understand Tony's point. I think you've got to go back to how Ireland have played previously uh, and what they've what they've done that's previously gotten them success and that's been Conor Murray's kicking game uh, and the chase and I think you've got to give a lot of credit to the English and and the way they blocked and they made uh, Irish players change their lines of running and look they were just unbelievable in their high balls and it just wasn't firing Conor Murray didn't fire I thought they might have actually gone to Johnny Sexton to, to relieve some pressure as well but again that didn't happen but ultimately you've got to give credit to the English and how they played as you say, I just heard you talking there about how they played like men possessed, and they really were. And I've never seen an Irish team um, physically beaten up like that, and and not get any gain, uh, gain line or go forward from their big ball carriers. And I think that that week away that England had in, in Portugal, they've really focused on what Ireland did, and maybe Ireland had their eye off the ball a little bit in terms of. Um, they were just focusing on what they'd done in, in bringing that kicking game into it to actually have gotten them there and what's beaten teams in the past, but they actually need something more. Um, so I can I can see what Tony's saying, but we maybe needed something else. And and the worrying part is, at the end of the game, we still didn't look like we were going to break down England's, uh, England's strong defence. James, hi, it's Rob here. Um, hi, Rob. I, I, would it, it would have been a bit of a... A shock, would it not, to the Irish players to to be in Dublin and have the fury of a, an opposition team come at them in the way that they normally go at, at the opposition? They've been so successful in the Six Nations in Dublin and obviously taken the game to New Zealand the way they did in the autumn. It, they looked a bit shell-shocked in, in many respects. Yeah, and I think I think when you, you look at the first line-outs when they go over the top to Tulangi, and how direct they were and how physical they were and eventually scoring off that play. There were just, even the crowd was subdued. You know, sometimes you get that feeling when you get to a ground and it was just a little bit, I wouldn't say that we were complacent or anything, but it just, it just didn't happen. And there's too many players that just didn't step up. And as you say, it's like, it's, it's our worst, it's our worst defeat in, in 15 years at home. And it, when you see an Irish team and you expect certain things and you have certain standards and when an opposition team brings that and as you said it's it's the first game up Ireland have, have started relatively slow over the past couple of years in the first in the first game and you mentioned there that England looked like it was one of the last games of it 
Ireland have a lot to work on, and but it's very surprising. As I say, I've never seen Ireland beaten up like that, and it's uh, it's quite a the, the scoreline. Okay, ultimately makes it look worse, but as I say, we didn't really fire a shot, and we're very subdued, which is quite worrying. Oh, James, when I was looking at the fixtures, um, Wales have got England and Ireland at home, but I was saying this. It's tricky for Ireland in this sense. If the unthinkable, which happened, did occur, then you've got to go to Murrayfield. Now, Scotland, this is their second successive home game. I, I was there and they played very well for about 50 minutes um, against Italy, but they are very confident at home. Now, I don't think anyone would take them lightly anyway, but when you've got injuries to Earls, Turner and Standard, lots of depth in the squad and so on, how do you think... Josh Farrell will react in terms of changes, not just from injury, but perhaps tactically. Yeah, it's an interesting one in, in, in terms of the tactic scenario. I guess people are talking over here about the Robbie Henshaw experiment. Uh, it didn't quite work, but I think you have to actually look at Incredible England in terms of that and how they kicked and uh, how they manipulated Ireland's defence. I think that if Going forward, if they want to make this a success, Robbie Henshaw has to have another go at 15. Um, as you say, there's been a few injuries, so guys will get a chance to step up, but um, Joe won't want to tinker too much. Um, I think that he just has to focus a little bit more on getting this win. As you say, our record in Murrayfields over the past couple of years hasn't been great in Scotland. They're certainly aware of this, and as you say, they're so good at home. Um, I just think that Ireland, they'll make a few changes, a few in force, but I, I don't think Joe would want to change too much ultimately. The Scottish backs, that you can't see this on the TV because you can't see all the people doing all the running off the ball to fix defenders and so on. But when they're on the front foot, they're probably as inventive and as creative as uh, any of the other sides in the Six Nations. And one thing I think they are susceptible to is if you can drive at them, if you can deny them that front foot ball, then it might be a lot more difficult for them to run these lines and to be as effective. Now, Ireland have had good ball carriers throughout the pack. With the injuries and the players who are coming in, do you still think they'll have enough physical presence to, to to get on the front foot and to deny Scotland that crucial um, go-forward ball? Yeah, I actually think they do. I think that this has been a huge work on for, for Joe and his remit, as, as I mentioned previously on the show, about how Joe has to make that strength and depth and these players... Uh, well, certainly have been questioned by Joe this week. It'll be a tough week. I'm sure today's video session was quite tough. Um, and ultimately, they won't want that to happen again. I think that the players that they can bring in hopefully can bring a bit more physicality. I think it's the first time, as you say, that they've been really sat down and not getting that go forward, which is which is so rare for an Irish side. Um, and I think that this has been a huge, huge area. So I expect them to, to react accordingly. Look, this is the great thing about it. You get absolutely... Uh, battered at home uh, in front of your home crowd and um, by the English which isn't great and you've seven days to turn it around and react and it'd be a worst case scenario if it was uh, you had six or seven weeks to actually think and dwell and, and read into this defeat but there's seven days to turn it around and I'm sure hopefully Scotland will get some sort of backlash Could have been worse than Jacob Rees-Mogg there but uh, anyway the uh, the Ireland-England's legends match um <laughs> 
the, these are they're sort of fun in theory, but when you get on the field, I imagine they turn fairly quickly into something else. What was it like? Um, look, firstly, it was it was great to catch up with some some old mates and stuff like that. And look, you, you kind of your body or your mind really thinks that you can do stuff and <laughs> actually get onto the field. It's it's a different story because even to uh, Jason Leonard threw on his boots for a bit and Harry Tornacroft was even out playing at one stage and he, I think he had a bang to the nose and there was a bit of clarish coming out so I was I was like I don't know if I can be that age and actually it keeps turning out but look it was a great cause for, for Doddy Weir yeah. uh, and getting behind motor neuron disease it's great to catch up with guys but you really just want to get off that field in, one, in peace and intact so you can enjoy your night and have a few pints well, um, we will see. Very uh, difficult challenge in Murrayfield. Uh, all to come. James, thank you for speaking to us. Cheers. James Downey, the former Ireland and Munster centre. Uh, the New Zealand Herald, which is clickbait, basically. Um, their reaction to the England Island game, Phil Clifford wrote, the All Blacks don't win the World Cup this year. Please, please don't let England or Ireland take it by boring other teams to death. Take the game. May a side that uses all 15 players on attack merge victorious. Former All Black Murray <laughs> Mixed on New Zealand Radio. This is a bit more um, of a considered point when we played England. Admittedly, we only won by one point or something. They were so loose. Uh, they were a lot less efficient than we were in all areas of the game, especially scoring tries. For the first time I've seen an English team that is much tighter, much better organised, and dare I say, looking complete. That's the, the difference between a former All Black and a half-wit. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, great thing, the great thing about these comments is once the New Zealand Herald or even famous All Blacks start talking about England, there's a bit of respect there and there's a little bit of nervousness because they will have seen... Murray Mexted will have seen in that England performance. If that England performance can be honed over the next 10 months and delivered on the biggest stage, then that can worry anybody. And that's the beauty of the, what the position that they've given themselves. If these guys stay together, as we've said all along... Stay fit. Stay fit and get to that World Cup. Keep being selected. Well, <laughs> uh, selection is an issue, but selection over the last 12 months has been a bit mixed, but... Some some of it forced by injury. Still searching for those combinations. How long have we talked about the combinations? Well, we've we've always said ever since Jones came in, back three centres and back row for the first time looked fairly balanced in all of them. And and that's so important, isn't it? And and Tom Curry and and Underhill, who's injured. Tom Curry's twenty years old. He was he you know he played like. We played as if the teams were in the wrong coloured shirt the way the game played out. Um, and the, the skill across the whole team, this is not a 15-man, uh, sorry, not an, an eight-man or nine-man team, this England team. There's balance across the whole team. Yeah, they were tactically very astute. They kicked the ball really cleverly and they kept Ireland at arm's length. They kept Ireland... Kicked it much earlier in the, in, you know, in the, in the passage of play than Ireland. Did Ireland... Quite predictable in a sense, five, six phases then. Yeah, and, and England sort of kicked and turned them a lot. You're allowed to kick the ball in rugby, believe it or not. You know, you are allowed to put pressure on teams and turn them. Play, no, New, no, New Zealand never kick. No, they never kick at all, ever. Um, you, you know, it's it, it's a balancing act and it's a, the tactical side of the game is really critical. And this looked to me for some time 
a really smart tactical performance. And that's credit to the coach. And executed well. And executed really well across the whole the whole team. And if you put that together, I don't care who you are, whether you're New Zealand or South Africa, um, Wales in Cardiff, you put that together, that is a handful of a team and a handful of a performance to actually take on. Now, the, the key is, can you actually keep delivering it? Well, it was a difficult opening fixture. In Paris, in, uh, well, inclement or poor weather, frankly. Now can speak to Scott Quinelvi, former Wales and Lions number eight. Good evening, Scott. Have you managed to unlock your phone? Uh, I have, thank you, Brian. Good, good man. Good. I, yeah, there's no nuisance, no nuisance calls on the landline. <laughs> <laughs> so look, I don't deep breathe anyway. The, um, <laughs> look, um, Warren Gatland said, if we can win the opening fixture, we can... Yeah win the title uh, you know I don't see anything wrong with that actually but some people no. are saying a bit arrogant no he's not that was always going to be a tricky fix you know, what were you thinking though when 16 points were rattled in well it's it, you know it was funny because I was actually at uh, a lunch uh, the Bill McLaren Foundation lunch in, yep. in Edinburgh and um, so I watched the first half in the airport and I was so despondent. I thought, oh, no. And then the, my flight was delayed and there was planes, trains, and automobiles. I managed <laughs> to see the first half. And I didn't actually see the second half until Saturday morning because I didn't get out at quarter to two in the morning. Oh. And I was a bit, so I, I put it on. Oh, what a way to wake up on a Saturday morning. Where you watch the first half and France have dominated and pick and moles and Para were running the show and it was absolutely wonderful. And then all of a sudden, Roger just drops one. You think, oh, hang on a minute, this coffee's tasting a bit better. And then George sneaks out from a wild pass outside. And yeah, there was a lot of luck involved. But Wales stuck to the task. They played a lot better, more savvy in the second half. And sometimes you get a little bit of luck to win this championship and they certainly got that in the second half. They'd be, they'd be disappointed the way they, they turned up in the first half. They played a little bit too much rugby, didn't play in the right areas. It was absolutely pouring down. Uh, so it, 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 was, it was one they got away with. But if you're going to win a Grand Slam and you're going to win a championship, you've got to win that first game. I think in a way it's an absolutely. Although it it would have been better if it had been at home, but it is Italy, with no disrespect to Italy because they've got better. Unfortunately, everyone else has got better as well. Yeah. But it's a sort of game where you can iron those problems out. Now I was wondering at one point whether the Welsh halfbacks had the requisite control for games, which can be very tight and which require yeah. absolute precision. What do you think? Well, you know, they're going down there. They've had that game in the weekend. Um, I expected the weather to be a lot better uh, down in Rome. Uh, they've got a good week's training in Nice uh, this week. Um, you know, Warren, he, he, they're training through this period. He, he did it in the autumn and they won four. He's training through this period and he's done it every World Cup campaign he's been there with. Uh, he, did, he did it in New Zealand uh, and uh, they did it uh, in 15. He, they train through this period, so there's, there's tough times. So they're going to make changes this weekend. He said they're going, to, they're going to make changes, but it wouldn't surprise me after the comments before the French game where he said, we're, we're, we're going to stick with them, we're going to give them the confidence because he knows what Dan Pickett could do. He's picked up a little bit of an injury. Uh, is he going to play... Hunt 
Beckham again. Uh, Thomas Williams, I think, probably deserves a, another shot against Italy. Sun is shining. That's their sort of game. You know, I, I saw a wonderful comment uh, on on uh, on social media on Friday, and uh, it, and it said, "Why do rugby sides pick their uh, teams two or three days in advance when they don't know what the conditions are?" And you know, it sort of makes sense. Because in those conditions last week, Dan Bigger would probably be your, your number 10 to play. The sun is shining next week in, in Rome. Probably Karasanska would be your number 10. There may be something in that, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, horses for courses. Scotty, hi, it's Rob here. Um, hi, Rob. It was a, it was an extraordinary game, wasn't it? And actually, when I'm sort of slightly concerned that Wales came out of that with a victory because at 16-0, they really shouldn't have won that game. Um, I'm not. I'm, I'm not concerned in the latest. <laughs> I didn't think you would be. <laughs> absolutely fantastic. Don't don't play well and win games. I would have taken that every day of the week. Would to play well at those. That's my that's my concern with England having to go to Cardiff in two weeks. What a, what a, a three weeks? Another an amazing game that will be. Um, and they got there. They they got there because in a way France let them back in. But there's a. I mean, Warren also said after the game that they've sort of forgotten how to lose, which is, yeah. is you know, there's a confidence running through the Wales team now that, that you know, they'll get better. Of course they will. They'll win in Italy. They'll play much better. And then everybody everybody's eyes will be on Cardiff for the England game. You know, you've got to take every, every game as, as, it, as it comes. If you have a look at uh, uh, the Italy game of the week, you know, they'll be disappointed, uh, you know. And as well, those late couple of tries... Uh, they scored uh, on Saturday against Scotland will give them a confidence to go out and, and, and to play a little bit more rugby uh, Scotland put them to the, the sword I thought Finn Russell was uh, was outstanding in the way he, he controlled the game especially in that first half and uh, you know you have a look at England I thought it was the best England performance I've seen for a long long time and it was all based on defence Eddie's gone back to base set. he said right we're going to be physical at the breakdown we're going to get into uh, Ireland's face we're going to put them in a huge amount of pressure and I can't see them really going away from you know, in 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 the Six Nations and and in this ten ten day now, because that's what he builds his uh, his sides on. And uh, you know, Wales they need to win this one. They need to win it well. They will make changes. And when it then it comes down to uh, the Principality Stadium on on the twenty third, you know, it's going to be a battle royal. You know, and I I think both sides would maybe go a little bit back to basics. It almost be like the the Super Bowl at the. Uh, if you watched it uh, last night. Let's hope it's not that dull for good. <laughs> oh, I tell you what, I, I fast-forwarded through it today and uh, I, I nearly fell asleep fast-forward through <laughs> that and, and, uh, But, but it, 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 it's the control, you know, that uh, uh, that uh, the Patriots uh, had and, and, and the confidence that the, that the Patriots had. And you saw that coming back into the English game, you know, with every tackle, with every offensive tackle, uh, you know, and they, they look at dangerous. Well, if if Brady can do it at forty-one, I'm sure you can come back, Scott. Well, you know, I'm only, I'm, I'm only forty-six. I've been I've been retired. Uh, I've been retired fifteen years now, and uh, it's the first time I was actually having singing lessons uh, with uh, Win Evans today. Uh, the singer, and he said, "Scott, you need to breathe through your stomach." I said, "I have breathed out for fifteen years." But, oh, no one, no wonder I can't sing. So I, I don't, I don't think there'll be any of that horror. Scott, great to speak to you again. Look after yourself, mate. Pleasure. Good to speak to you, boys. Love the show. Scott Quiddell, former Wales and Lions number eight. 
we can very shortly speak to another Scot who is also a former British Lion, but he's a Scot, former Scottish centre, Scott Hastings. Hello, Scott. Hi, Brian. You ready? Yeah, not too bad here with uh, Rob, Andrew. Um, look, I don't know what I've done wrong in a former life, but the BBC keeps sending me to Scotland. And the fact is, the most recent visits have been, you know, quite enjoyable in, in, a, in a sort of a masochistic way because I've seen Finn Russell, Blair Kinghorn, Stuart Hogg, all in excellent form. And what you can't see from the pictures when you watch on TV is the amount of work done by the other backs to cut lines, to fix defenders and so on. And when they got front football, which was for about the first 50 minutes against Italy, they looked very, very sharp indeed. But I just wonder this, when Ireland come, can they get enough ball and front football to give their backs that chance? And and that basically sums up where my concern lies. When Scotland come up against the bigger packs, the likes of Ireland, the likes of England, you just go back to South Africa back in the autumn series, Scotland's fastball is stifled. And as a result, I don't think they then have a plan B. And this is the whole challenge. The pack are going to have to front up against this Irish pack who are going to be hurting following their defeat in Dublin. And... You know, undoubtedly, I think Scotland do have some class in the backs and they do cut these angles you talked about. And if you turn the clock back 12 uh, months before, Scotland actually cut open Ireland on a number of occasions, but ultimately it was that bullying up, up front that won the day for Ireland, plus um, the odd, you know, miss, miss uh, opportunity for Scotland when they didn't, having cut Ireland open, they didn't take their five points and tries and conversions on the back of that. So, um, you know, it's a work in progress, but undoubtedly Scotland do pose a threat, Brian. And um, But, uh, you know, it's all about what's going to happen up front. Uh, Scotty, hi, it's Rob here. Hi, Rob. Um, hi, yeah. um, just from a tactical balance point of view, um, do, do you think Scotland, I mean, this is what you almost alluded to there, searching for this tactical balance if they're not quite get the front football is Finn Russell capable of mixing it up enough tactically um, so that they can actually find a different way and then wait for those opportunities? Yeah, yeah, yeah I think you're right there. I think I think you know you, you wouldn't look at Finn Russell and go, "Hey, he's got a brilliant kicking game." You just you don't see that in his repertoire. Although he his, his field kicking can actually, or his kicking from hand, I should say, it, it can be a bit hit or miss. And therefore, where does the pressure come off him, and who who dictates? Is it Laidlaw? And Laidlaw had a little bit of criticism on. Saturday, uh, you know, according to a number of people, where he delayed his pass, he was a little bit slow. There wasn't much tempo, so he's going to bring that to his game. And therefore, what is what is the game? What is game plan B? And again, if I turn the clock back twelve months ago to the match against Wales in the opening, Warren Gatland played an absolute stormer in terms of he kicked deep to Scotland. Scotland tried to counterattack and got got caught playing this high tempo game. So. This this Six Nations for me is about how does Scotland adapt to these types of games and how do they learn from it to then become a threat in the Rugby World Cup and and undoubtedly there's potential there but what is the alternative and 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 it's not quite there yet I think it will come and you know they aren't a very good handling back at twelve it takes a little bit of pressure and focus off uh, off Russell and that was Sam Johnson who. I think plays very astutely, but he wouldn't be, again, he wouldn't be considered a kicking 12 
nor is Hugh Jones. If you if you look at what you would term in the old days a miss one wiper, which is the miss one and a, a kick downfield, that tactic doesn't happen anymore. And I think you know tactical kicking is so important. A lot of teams will will kick just to gain territory and hopefully force an error. Um, but this Scotland team, I, I'm intrigued at the way that Townsend is coaching them in the high-tempo game and what are the options. But ultimately, it's what the players do on the field, the play and how they react. So the likes of their forwards, the likes of Gilchrist and Jamie Ritchie and the big ball carriers, that, that you know, Ryan Wilson, um, perhaps don't have as big an influence in a game, but can they be clever enough in terms of their ball handling to get onto that front foot? In terms of when you play Ireland, obviously they will have been quite badly uh, hurt by the loss at home to England, not least the manner of it. But I just wonder, Scotland, very confident because their second consecutive game at home, um, whether or not you think Ireland might be a bit fragile. Oh, it's a great time to play Ireland, I think. And I I. I said at the start of the campaign that, that I think Scotland went into the Six Nations Championship with a, with a great opportunity of getting three wins at home against Italy, Ireland and Wales and anything on the road is is actually a kind of bonus having not beaten uh, France and Paris since what, 1999 and dare I say it, not beaten uh, the English team since 1983 so there's a huge task ahead for Scotland, but ultimately everything boils down in the next 80 minutes against Ireland. And two years ago, Ireland came uh, with high hopes of opening up their season with a, a victory. They didn't get it. Scotland actually caught them short. And I think if, if, if Scotland can meet them in the physical side of, of the game and challenge Ireland in the breakdown and, and, and force errors, then you know, perhaps the, the, the doubts can be um, seeded you know, in, in that opening 20 minutes. But undoubtedly, I think Scotland have to play with far greater tempo coming into this game than they did against Italy. Um, and they know fine well that if they switch off at any moment in international rugby, as we all know, mistakes are made and the concession of three tries uh, against Italy was uh, was just kind of a switch off from the team. And maybe just to goes to show that, that maybe the strength isn't off the bench it's it, it, it's the starting 15 that ultimately have to create the platform well Scott I'm sure you're looking forward to it a delicious prospect um, we'll speak to you uh, again <laughs> yeah. some point uh, Cheers, guys. thank you Always very much for that look after yourselves bye former Scotland and Lions centre Scott Hastings Italy and France um, did you see enough from France to make them a threat for the title let's just take the first 40 to start with. Yeah, look, I th- God, you're sort of exasperated watching them, aren't you? Every year we say the same things and then they just they just compound it and make it. I mean, there were things they did in that first half which were, were outstanding. They played some, some really good rugby in very difficult conditions, aided, I have to say, by a Welsh team that, that were incredibly poor in that first half I and mean, it wasn't a, I didn't think it was a very good game at all conditions were terrible but Wales turned the ball over the whole time they played in the wrong parts of the field I haven't seen as many forced and unforced errors from Wales in one half for a long time it, I mean they, they just weren't at the races at all in that first half France took advantage and fair play scored a couple of really good tries and 
were typically French when they got going on the front foot, some offloads, a bit of pace. And then you think, wow, actually they, they, they're going to win this 16-0. You, you should not lose no, at home when you're 16-0 up a half Well, they time. wouldn't have done if Uzi had managed to gather that ball. And Varmahina, with four men outside him, and decided to lob. I mean, I mean the, you're just, you've just got into the lead. There are backs outside you. As a forward, what not gives you the right, but what makes you think you're going to do any better than backs who at the time probably had, you know, if they'd have run straight, would have had a man advantage. Yeah, you're insane. But, but, but we're exasperated and we're almost speechless because of, of how bad they were in that second half. Wales were better. Wales put some pressure on. They kept the ball. They played in the right place. And they will the play field. a lot better. Wales will get much better. Much, and that's better. that's a little bit like Ireland getting out of Paris, out of jail last year when Sexton kicked that drop goal in the opening game. Well, let's hope the French come to Twickenham uh, and do the same thing. Um, because <laughs> then uh, it'll be a lot easier. Italy. feel sorry for Italy in, in a sense. They're trying to get um, an overall style which can compete with teams that are now tactically adept all round. They're trying to bring in some younger players. Obviously, Parisi still has to be there because he's, he's just a tremendous uh, player. But to me, the... Distinguishing feature of the England game, i.e. the variety with which they might take the ball into contact. With Italy, it's still a lot one out, very direct. And if you play against sides that are well equipped to deal with that, they're going to struggle. That's yeah. the problem. Yeah, they've got a real challenge and it must be really frustrating for, for Connor in a, in a way, Connor O'Shea, who's who's a very good coach he 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 will know what he wants to achieve he'll know he'll have a picture in his head of where he wants to take the team but you just watch it and he just it's fr- it must be really frustrating because it's almost like they the glimpses but they can't do it for long well, it also periods. doesn't help when several of your players are ill during the week and on the well just before the game your first choice scrum half goes down yeah it must be really really hard and i think the other you touched on it a little bit earlier they are improving. It's just everybody else is improving yes. even quicker. So you look across this, you know, the Six Nations over the last couple of years, Ireland have been outstanding. England will always be strong. Um, Wales have, have become outstanding. Scotland are closing that gap, which is why, as we touch the Scotland-Ireland game, is a massive game for Scotland. If they've got any pretensions of stepping up and joining that top tier... You know, they really have to start beating Ireland at Murrayfield and, and they've got Wales at Murrayfield. And Italy are playing catch-up all the time. It's just that catch-up's getting harder and harder for them to, to stay in touch. Time now to switch to the women's Six Nations because that parallels the men's. Very pleased to say we can speak to the Red Roses' captain, Sarah Hunt, who is on the line. Hello, Sarah. Good evening, Ryan. Eight tries uh, in Dublin. Um Quite satisfying, I would imagine. Um, Ireland, not so long ago, would have posed a much bigger threat. I think they're still quite powerful up front, but what's gone wrong with their team, do you think? I think um, Ireland are in a transition phase. So um, after the 2017 World Cup, they had a sort of a lot of their sort of senior players retire and, and move on. So they're they're obviously in a place where they're building towards um, the next World Cup in, in 2021. And you know, um, I think it was spoken a lot at the time of the game just afterwards that 
and I know it's a bit of a cliche, but the scoreline for me didn't really reflect how, how the game went. You know, it was only 13-0 at half-time and Ireland had a lot of the possession but just couldn't convert their, their chances. And it was only sort of early in the second half that we probably just took it away from Ireland. But, you know, they kept fighting all, all the way through and, and did pose a threat right up until, until the final whistle. So I've got no doubt that over... Six Nations and over the next season or so we'll, we'll see these sort of really young um, players and maybe some players that haven't necessarily got the, the international experience yet to, to come to the fore and I think we'll we'll see Ireland rediscover their form of sort of two, three years ago. A note of concern, Marley Packer coming off injured. What's the latest news with her? Yes, yeah, so, um, to be honest, I, she she seemed in good spirits um, on on Friday evening and, and Saturday, and um, I think she's been reviewed by uh, the medical team. But as of yet, I haven't heard how how she is. But she she seems all right. We came into camp um, the, this afternoon, and and she seems to to be walking around um, all right at the minute. So hopefully, it's good news for for her and us, obviously. Sarah, hi, it's Rob here. Hi, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Um, How's uh, how important is it to have Emily back playing 15s now that um, now that she's moved back onto the sort of 15s contract and, and back in the in the squad full time? Yeah, I mean it's great to have a, a player like Emily come back to, to the 15s game. Obviously, whichever whichever coach she's playing sevens or 15s, she's a fantastic effort to to the to the team both on and off the field. And um, it, yeah, we saw glimpses of what she's capable against Ireland on on Friday night. You know, she. She does really shore up that that um, outside back sort of midfield um, area of of the team, and you know I think she will she'll add real value across across the the board for for us. We saw her kicking game back in action, and you know her for running threat. If if um, teams are marking her, you know because she's a threat with the ball, there's gonna she'll be able to put someone else in space. So yeah, she she does really add another dimension and a lot of experience in a in a in a back line that has got uh, some new faces alongside it. Big game coming up. The French, without being too dismissive, uh, and isn't the fact is that you and they are these standout sides at the moment in the women's Six Nations. Am I right? Is it Doncaster? Yeah, we're going back up to Castle Park. We played um, Canada there in, in the autumn and it was a fantastic day out there and um, we're hoping that we'll we'll draw in a crowd for what is going to be a pretty big game of the Six Nations and it comes so early on. Well, the women's game in France, I know is very well supported. France, at the moment, they've got a very strong pack um, I'm not too convinced about their outside backs. I think England have probably you've probably got an advantage there. Um, but in the back row, you've got I mean you've got the the Cleals and um, and a lot of power there. Do you think in the front five though, you have the wherewithal to make sure that the French do not dominate you and um, you know deny you the ball that you'll need out wide? Yeah, France are renowned for their for their uh, for their packing. I think on uh, Sunday, Saturday evening, sorry, they scored um, seven out of their nine tries um, through the forward. So we know they pose a a real threat. But you know what? We, we look at our pack and you look at the likes of um, Sarah Byrne, Hannah Bottman, um, Dickie Cornborough, Locke Davies, um, Amy Kane across our, our front row to, to name a few. You know they they add real firepower to. 
to um, our team, not just at set piece, but you know around the park as well. And and then you back that up with Abby Scott. We'll be back in um, for for France, and we'll add real experience up. And you look at uh, the Kath O'Donnell, who's who's new onto the ranks, but she's been an outstanding form physically for for um, Loughborough Lightning in the Tyrrells Premiership, and and really showed that on um, Friday night against Ireland. So I think I think across the board we've got um we've got a pack that can can um sort of go toe to toe with with France but we know that for us to get that ball for our backs to, to really play off you know and give the likes of Emily Scarrett ball in space and Jess Breach now back from sevens and Kelly Smith um we are gonna have to have to work really really hard up front to to create that platform to to play on. So that will be a, a real challenge for and focus for us going into Sunday's game. If uh, just final question, if you don't mind, if the eight do their job, I would think you'll be looking to move the French pack uh, around a lot. Yeah, so obviously we know that um, they've got quite a big front five, and then they've got a very mobile back row. So um, we'll have to be really smart about our tactics and how um, what game plan we want to be go going into. Because against um, Wales, they they were really good over the ball. You know, they um, they contested possession really well and and looked to make. Uh, Wales struggle there, so we know that our breakdown will be really key as well. So uh, we'll want to hopefully like like you say, move the front five around and uh, and be mindful of where their, their back row will be roaming and, and be smart on our, in our tactics in that sense. Best of luck, uh, Sarah. Um, Sunday, what time is the kickoff? 12.45. 12.45 if you want to. Uh, get along because uh, it should be a titanic clash. That's Sarah Hunter, the Red Roses captain. Rob, uh, general chat, World Rugby League. Now, I don't think that's Rugby League, um, which is already a very successful and established game, but the uh, World Rugby Vice Chairman, Augustin Pichot, has been proposing a new World League tournament. The top officials met last week to discuss it. This would bring the Autumn International Summer Tour of Six Nations and the Rugby Championship together in one annual league. Um Pichot said he vowed not to allow the demise of the global international game, but there is a threat in the Southern Hemisphere, particularly Australia. I don't know why we should care about that, but um, no, that's not true. The, what concerns me is this. If you have a world championship every year, I understand the point of a World Cup, but that is bound to detract. One of the reasons why Lions Tours and World Cups are really special is their scarcity? Yeah, and I think they're, they're sort of searching for uh, a sort of gut silver bullet that can solve a lot of the Southern Hemisphere problems here around finance and trying to create something that they feel has got more meaning and therefore can attract more finance, more TV money into the global game. One of the one of the challenges they've got, I think, with it is they're talking about also having an annual sort of final, so the winners of the um, Southern Hemisphere versus the winners of the Northern Hemisphere, possibly even semi-finals, trying to get extra dates in the calendar for international rugby in the Northern Hemisphere. You know where that debate's going to go with the club owners, particularly with CVC now coming There's any in. room. Well, ex- exactly. And I, I think there's a real, you know, the, the international schedule, international calendar is is 
an enormous problem for rugby. The Lions get squeezed. World Cups, you know, are, are the big thing. And I think they're trying to solve something which um, is designed for the Southern Hemisphere more than the Northern Hemisphere because the Northern Hemisphere have two domestic windows that are really successful. The Six Nations is, as we, I mean, we talk about it forever, an amazing tournament. And I don't think that the rugby championship can ever create that in the way that they, they think it can, financially, I mean. Um, and then the Autumn Internationals, for all of the, the northern countries, are huge financial drivers. So they may be asking some of the northern unions to give up some of that revenue to, to give to the south. And it's 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 been... It's a growing problem and it isn't going to go away. And the challenge over time is, will the North keep dragging more and more players? I mean, I think there'll be even more players come to the North after the 2019 World Cup. Kiwis and Aussies coming over here because it's where where the money is. And you look what's happened in football and Europe's obviously a much bigger market in football, but it's it's happening in rugby as well. So there is a dilemma that that... Pichot is trying to solve around keeping the Southern Hemisphere. You know, you mentioned the Aussies and tongue-in-cheek, we're really not that bothered about Australia, but actually the world game needs a successful Australia. Well, yeah, in, in one sense, that they have been one of the leading lights over the past sort of 30 years, uh, very successful at World Cups. However, you know, in 30 years' time, if Germany make the progress which they are doing, that's a much bigger economy. Many more people. Well, why why not have Germany and Australia? You know, you would still want to you want to grow the game, don't because you? Because there's only so much room. Yeah, and that's the that's table. the other problem, isn't it? But then do you end up with all of the people at the top table in in Europe, for example? I also wonder this, Rob. Everyone assumes we'll get this global property right. Broadcasters will love it. Sponsors will love it. You speak to the people who are trying to sell the World Cup and see in the present climate or globally and, you know, specifically in the Northern Hemisphere, how difficult it is to attract sponsors at the figures that they want. Not easy. Right. Not an assumption which you, I think you can readily make for a new property. And who knows what figures they can actually achieve. There will be brands. But then again, if you're talking about worldwide, you've got the Olympics, you've got the FIFA World Cup. They're two bigger properties by far. If you're a global brand... Where do you put your money? Well, and also, does does that you, do you then also run the risk of devaluing one of your crown jewels, i.e., the Six Nations? So you've created completely something that you end up trying to chase, you know, chase the rainbow, and actually, you, when you get there, you find that you've caused more problems than you than you're actually trying to solve. And you know, look, it's it's one of the same. It's all sports have this challenge of trying to trying to keep getting so-called bigger. But by doing so, there's a real risk that you actually do more damage than good. Rob, before we go, uh, no detailed chat about this because I'm afraid we don't have time, but thoughts on the second round fixtures. First, let's uh, have the Scotland Island one. Yeah, I mean, I'm really looking forward to it as a game and and I think Ireland will rebound. Um, Scotland... It need to step up and, and actually start to win these sorts of games. But Ireland will be hurting so badly that I think they will rebound. I think of the two big games at home that Scotland have got, they've got Ireland and Wales. 
I think it's more likely that they might win the the, the Wales game, ironically. But I think they will be very disappointed if they don't win one of those. No, and that's the that's the challenge for Scotland, isn't it? You know that you know they keep and they they are getting better. There's no question. And Murrayfield has become more of a fortress, but they have to win one of these two, if not if not both of them, mm. to 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 sort of make a real statement in the World Cup year. Uh, irrespective of how many changes they make, I can't see Wales coming unstuck in Italy. No, they won't. I mean, they'll get there in the end. They'll have to be a bit sharper at the start than they were. They were and they will be. They were very slow. Uh, they'll have another run out and that'll sort of warm them up nicely for, for England, Wales and Cardiff. And at Twickenham, if England play with the same tempo, same variety, same intelligence, I don't think France can live with them. The problem that might occur is if France do get into their game, and England go and revert back to the penalty-ridden uh, ill-discipline that we've seen them on a number of occasions. Well, actually, I still think France have messed it up. No, I'm sorry. I was trying to make a case for them. I can't, I can't see you're try, one. You're trying not to sound overconfident because England will beat France at Twickenham. Mm. We'll leave it at that then. That's all we've got time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. Thank you to my co-host Rob Andrew. Please do subscribe to the podcast, leave a review if you haven't already. But for now, it's goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.